Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Zero G, uh, another episode of Zero G on Triple R. I am Megan McHugh. And Rob Jan. And today's <laughs> show title is Messing Up on a Boat on the River. <laughs> <laughs> and our podcast title is Tales from the Pod 2. Yeah. Uh, so... You might be able to tell, I don't know if you will be able to tell what we're covering today from those titles, um, but we are going to take a look at two very different shows, but both unique and interesting in their own way. We gave you a little bit of a taster of Tales from the Loop, which is now on Amazon Prime, had a little bit of an intro to that last week. So we'll have a proper look at that today. And then we'll be following that up with a chaser of Zomboat exclamation mark, uh, the latest and greatest in zombie coming out of the UK, and that is on Stan. So thought we'd, um, yeah, take yeah. A, tackle another zombie thing this week, but I think it's quite a bit different to some of the stuff that we've covered lately in a really good way. So, but first off, we wanted to talk, have a little bit of a chat first about Star Trek. Is that right, Rob? Oh, yes. Yeah. Star Trek Discovery has dropped on Netflix all around the world. Uh, it's a pretty good start to the third season. Um, they've got the Discovery lost in space, we assume, because we haven't seen the, the disco yet, uh, in 900 years in the future of the the previous Star Trek, which was set just before the time of uh, Captain Kirk aboard the Enterprise. And so we've got Michael Burnham, Burnham lost in space and time by herself in the future, but that won't last too long because she's a very gregarious sort. And she uh, is still in that uh, Red Angel techno power armour flying suit widget and she falls out of space and finds herself marooned on a planet which may or may not be alien because it is the future of the of the Federation, so they're not really sure um, what planet is what and where and all sorts of things are happening. I won't go into that this time round, but it's a pretty good start to a season. And having set up a kind of a double quest structure with potential legs for a whole story arc, I do hope that they don't resolve it with too much indecent haste. You know, mm, that can be yeah. a problem. It's like... Mm-mm. It's going on the quest for the Holy Grail and finding it outside the castle gates in a trash and treasure market, <laughs> which is a story point of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, at least one of their draft scripts. No so, doubt. Yeah, because so, if they do that, then they undermine the power of the, the suspense of the premise. They do not undermine the power of math, which, of course, cannot be undermined, according to Tilly aboard the Discovery. Anyway, a good start, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the rest of it. It, it uplifts me to see Star Trek. Uh, this is one of my sort of seminal shows, along with Doctor Who. Uh, sometimes, mm-hmm. it's, sometimes it goes good, and sometimes it goes bad, and you know everybody has their different opinion about that. But I'm just so glad that it's still here and and working so well, so many years mm-hmm. later. Oh yeah, 
All right. So from the uplifting adventures of the USS Discovery to <laughs> something completely different, again, in the Python way, mm. uh, Tales from the Loop on Amazon Prime. We played the um, the main titles theme last week, and I just love it to pieces. It's by it's wonderful Philip Glass and Paul Leonard Morgan. It really does set the tone for the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love as well the actual the title credits. What happens with the um, the typeface, like the writing? I think it's just a very lovely, subtle, and subdued intro that yeah, really kind of sets the foundation for the show's kind of bones from what I've seen. You can tell right away what kind of ride we're in for. And it is a cerebral and yet bleak one. Yeah, it's we did give a pandemic warning for this one because mm. although it contains no actual viruses in it, nothing like that, uh, it mm-hmm. is a bit melancholic and poignant and a little bit tragic in places. So, you know, if you're being triggered by any of those things, maybe watch out for tales from the loop. But, you know, we're zero G, so we lean into it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this is an eight-episode series. Uh, It's developed by Nathaniel Holpern, and all the episodes are written by him too. Uh, A writer and producer known for Legion in 2017 and The Killing in 2011. But this series is actually got a, a weird genesis, as we were talking last week. It's based mm. upon the drawings and the artwork of Swedish artist Simon Stalinhag. And this is, a, this is basically what the aesthetic of the whole show is mm. about. Uh, mm-hmm. Stalinhag's work is a retro-futurism type of uh, Swedish Gothic, I suppose we could call it. Mm. Um, where he's got uh, landscapes which he enthuses with science fiction elements, mm, sometimes mm. like a cornfield with an anti-gravity tractor floating, rusting in a corner, sometimes a, a giant robot sort of stalking behind a normal rural house or farmhouse, mm. that kind of thing. And so you wouldn't think that would ostensibly be... <laughs> much uh, fodder for producing a, a story from, but it is. And mm. he's actually worked on the idea that um, this is this is kind of a, a retro scientific experiment, kind of set in, a, in an imagined past, almost like the Disney movie Tomorrowland. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like it's kind of influenced by that in, in a way as well. Uh, and, of course, because he's also trying to mirror history, as you often do, real uh, contemporary times as well, uh, in a science fictional sense, it's also a little bit of a, a metaphor for the ageing Swedish welfare state. So it's a, a, so it's a little bit shop-soiled and used and battered around. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually was quite charmed by that aspect of the show. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, okay, so this is um, – this is very like Ralph McQuarrie's work or Sid Mead's work, but all bashed up. Few <laughs> mm, 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 mm. dents and bruises and all the more charming for it kind of thing. Yeah, rustically rusty in some respects. Uh, he's attracted a lot of attention, that artist, including from the, the Russo brothers who uh, brought the rights to The Electric State, which is um, a, a kind of a, a musical 
work that uh, Stalin Hag has put together, an electronic music album. So he did that with um, crowdfunding. Uh, we will have a track from that later on too. But, you know, there's, so he's a, this multi-functional, sort of multi-talented uh, Renaissance artist, and, and this is a show that's, that's, that has uh, been based upon his work. I, I think it's an amazing looking show for a start. Uh, you know that that aesthetic is 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 it's just wonderful, and mm. it, it touches many parts of my retro techno soul. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell every frame is perfectly thought out, like you know, just the little details of oh, that is meant that's specifically placed there in the frame, so you can kind of see it, see that juxtaposition, and it's all such cool tones and yeah, very a real mood straight away. Um, props to them for setting that tone in such a good way. And it's meditative and cerebral, and at times it's so beautiful that you could weep, not just from the look of the thing, but also from the way the stories hook into that same aesthetic. And the episodes, they do loop back through the story, through time, mm-hmm. and we will see recurring characters at various stages in their lives. So, you know, the credits are full of uh, uh, actor who plays young Cole, actor who plays adult Cole, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And that actually is fairly delicately done. And I, I tell you, this one will run your emotions for a particle accelerator at times. Mm. Mm, okay, so. so be prepared. Yep, all right. <laughs> Lots of feels. Uh, I did compare it a little bit in some respects to the movie and book Cloud Atlas, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you don't want to go too far down the road of comparison. Otherwise, we'll end up in that little town of Eureka where scientific mysteries and marvels abound, usually going wrong. And the town of Mercer, where the loop is built, is actually very similar to Eureka in that respect. Things do go wrong. There are mm-hmm. lots of inventions that after they've passed their use-by date, they seem to just throw them out into the fields. Goodness. OH&S-wise, this is not <laughs> not a good thing. So, all right, we kind of set up the uh, the theme for all of this and the, and the tropes that are running through it. So you've got time travel, uh, robotics, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, mind transference. Oh, okay. Successful or not, you'll see. You'll have to wait and see, I guess. The ability to stop time. That's a good one. Uh, And there's several other ones that also appear through this series. And so I think we'll just play a track here to Mm. get you more in the mood for Tales from the Loop. And it's a track called The Robot. And, again, this is by Paul Leonard Morgan and Philip Glass. Hmm. Broadcast mode. This is Crichton, the service android aboard the Starship Zero-G on 3 triple R FM. SOS! SOS! Mayday! Help! I am being held captive by rogue makeup artists who want to cover my face in plaster and latex rubber. Panic mode. Get me the hell out of here! Yeah, the robot, Paul Leonard Morgan and Philip Glass. Actually said, said that like Jesse Pinkman from... Breaking Bad. Yeah, the robot. Science, Mr. White. <laughs> what a lovely um, what a lovely score. I really think that that's such a nice, nice piece of music. It doesn't make me feel upbeat, no, <laughs> but it's really lovely. Mm. A complex show is Tales from the Loop. Uh, Rebecca Hall plays Loretta. Mm. Uh, she is the, the maternal factor in the series, but she actually is one of the 
the bigwigs at the physics experiment, The Loop, which is underground, the town under the town of Mercer in the series. Uh, her husband, George, there is a physicist, and also her father of, jo- of George and other characters, uh, Jonathan Price, plays the, the older creator of this great big vast machine that's underground. Mm-hmm. Now, we do know Rebecca Hall from mm. things like uh, The Awakening in 2011 and also Transcendence, the uh, AI movie in 2014, um, also the biographical drama Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. But I also know her as playing uh, Maya Hansen in Iron Man 3, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where she was working on the Extremist Project. Mm. So, mad scientist. <laughs> That's her typecast. Uh, but she is actually a, a pivotal character in Tales from the Loop, and she will appear at various stages throughout the story, quite critical to the the overriding story arc. We've also got Jonathan Price playing the, the grandfather. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, we've seen him before in Terry Gilliam's Brazil back in 85. You'll know his face as soon as you see him from, yeah. uh, from his roles in Tomorrow Never Dies to Pirates of the Caribbean um, and also as the High Sparrow in Game of Thrones. Ah, yes. That's, I was like, what have I seen him in recently? And that would be it. That would be it. Well, you've also seen him recently in The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. That is what I've seen him recently. <laughs> he was great in that because we covered that very recently. Yeah. Uh, him and Adam Driver, of course, and he was splendid in that. I think he's so he's got a real gravitas. That one. He's even played the nemesis of the Doctor in Doctor Who and the Curse of Fatal Death, which is a, a comedic spin-off, and he played the Master. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, cool. So yeah, he has got chops and. Mm-mm-mm. And I actually just like watching him and, and listening to him perform. And he's got this mm. very touching role in this. He's He is the, the, the guy, the head boffin in charge of the loop and administer to the strange artifact known as the Eclipse, which is kept behind heavily armoured doors, which for some reason they often leave open. <laughs> uh, but never mind. They're, they're a little bit lax about OH&S in this place. <laughs> And, Clearly. And, and security too. Anyway, um, and, and Price has got this role that's very supportive of the other characters, but but is its own thing. He's not just stuck with being the head scientist. Mm-hmm, like a paper-thin role kind of thing. Yeah, he's got this very strong emotional connection to all of his family members. And actually he carries some of the tropes in this story, the themes that they're talking about of, uh, of age and, um, and transitions and identity. So I actually think he's quite important to this. Uh, you also see Paul Schneider as well from um, uh, Parks and Recreation. Mm-hmm. I think it was, I cannot pronounce his name, but I'll give it a shot. Well, he played Mark. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, he's in there too, and he actually has a um, uh, a mechanical robotic hand in this, and you'll find out how he got that through the the course of the episodes. Yeah, so I, I think that the story itself really does um, does service to the science, even though sometimes the science feels like it's just in there to 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 push the story along a little bit. 
But they do really explore the implications of some of this technology, even if they're exposed to it and what essentially are <laughs> toxic out-of-the-lab accidents. <laughs> you know, like, like in Episode 3, they find um, a capsule in the lake while fishing, a couple of the characters, and there's a, these are the ones with the stop-the-time bracelets in them. Mm-hmm. You know, just this sort of thing that will happen in and around Mercer. And the, the interesting thing about that time, that, that stop time episode is that we see the consequences of when they muck around with this thing and they play the inevitable tricks upon the people who are frozen in time, you know, putting mm-hmm. hats, hats on them, that sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, a few episodes later, other characters were referring to these strange theories of what they think are purposeless burglaries where people have come into their houses and done things, you know. So that, that that's really nice. You have to keep your t- your um, keep on your toes with this series so that mm. you can remember what's happened. So it does require a little bit of um, wrinkling of your forehead as you go along. <laughs> this isn't a do the dishes and watch it kind no. of show. It's a sit down and focus from the sounds. Mm. And this is a show that takes the time to show and sometimes live with the consequences mm-hmm. of actions. You know, as I said, robotics feature quite a bit. Um, there's a, a really good episode with a, a robot that a man buys from the junkyard in order to use it for protection around his house. You know, Americans. Well, yeah. <laughs> and um, there's things in this that, uh, that that reduce it to realistic routine occasionally. Okay. Like a serviceman who fixes what they call the field hats, which have got something to do with the loop. We never really find out too much about them, but they have to be recharged at intervals. So there's this guy who drives around in a truck and he puts the capsules in them to recharge oh. them. And, okay. You know. Uh, there's one about an anti-gravity tractor and a doppelganger that I think is particularly excellent. <laughs> and at once, you know, what can I say? There's at one stage there. There are some kids watching a horror movie which contains a masked Mexican wrestler, a lucadora, and I'm thinking, yeah, that's great. That's <laughs> that's exactly what you've got to have. Uh, and there's a monster story where there's something marooned on an island off the sh- off the coast. Oh, uh, you know. So there's all these little things in it that I, I felt kept my attention for the eight episodes. Mm. And you can't mm. say too much more about that than that they can do that for eight episodes. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. it is what it is. So you've watched a bit of this too, Megan? Yeah. So, look, I'll be honest. It's I'm probably one of the people who's in the mood for a more upbeat <laughs> mood. Um, this was pretty grim and you can tell right away, like I liked what it was doing very much, but you can tell straight away that you – Again, it requires your attention. You're in for something that is going to make you think and leave you with questions. And I did like that about it. And I do feel like this is something that that does fall within my interest, but it's a maybe not right now. But um, I was very intrigued by, I looked, they've got a really diverse range of directors that have worked on these episodes, um, which I thought was very, very cool. Um, and I like, even though obviously it's all written by the one guy, Nathaniel Halpern, as he mentioned, and which I guess is that nice richness you were mentioning, like the throwbacks, like the little mentions, I think maybe that helps having that full vision. Mm-hmm. But I actually like that you can see these directors that come from all kinds of backgrounds uh, and all kinds of national, like very international vibe as well. And I thought that was really nice to tell this kind of story if you are going for 
let's tackle some universal themes, um, that kind of thing. But I mean, I was drawn in right away. The, the palette, the color palette is really lovely. Like it's, yeah, it's the cool tones. And as I mentioned before, like it's obviously very well thought out. I haven't watched multiple episodes, but I'm assuming that they maintain that vibe and the color palette throughout. Yeah. Yeah, Just the directors have different takes on how to tackle those story pieces, but I think it's very ambitious, but from the sounds of it, it pulls it off. From what I could see too, the acting, I like there's a good mix of, of names, but no one wildly famous. Um, and a lot of good solid kind of faces in there. So I think it's something I'd like to continue with, but possibly something to put a pin in for the future. But that being said, I mean, it's not overly, I think it's just, if you, if you need to be in the mood to mull over those things. And I was, I was sort of in more of a, uh, a, a head splattering zombie place, which luckily we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, I think this is a definite vibe that you, you can, um, if you're feeling it at the time, I think it, it yeah, I'd be definitely keen to, to watch all eight. And does it leave it open for more or is this a very contained one season, having I, watched them all? I feel like the, the you could do this season and be out of it. Mm, 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 mm. Um, but I like that, to be honest, yeah. these days. Did you notice that Jodie Foster was one of the directors? I did, and I really, really, uh, that made me very tickled because she's done some great stuff. I think she did um, an episode of Black Mirror in Season 4, the Archangel episode about the mother and daughter and the monitoring the children um, storyline. And she's obviously worked on a sort of different movie. She's moved more into directing, but I was like, oh, I'm very keen to see that she's involved. And I mean, I've got to work up to that. That's She does the last episode, so I've got to watch them all to uh, be rewarded with Jodie's ep. Um, but it, yeah. It does have a very Black Mirror feel to it. Uh, not as nasty, mm. not as nasty mm. as that. Um, mm. And also, you know, Electric Dreams and, and any any number of other anthology series but it also has a, a strong story arc that runs through it too so yeah. unlike those and strictly anthology series this one does circle back on itself repeatedly as have i done by talking about this again this week <laughs> a loop you could say tales from the loop indeed um it does remind me a little bit too of um a podcast and then series that we covered called limetown which had a sort of a similar central premise, execution quite different, and it, that was a bit more of a mystery horror type piece. Um, but definitely recommend the podcast of that, Limetown. Good to go in fresh if you don't know anything about it. And it was adapted into a series which was mixed, mixed, uh, didn't quite stick the landing in my opinion. But, yeah, similar thing, weird town, stuff happened, people disappear, <laughs> bit of supernatural biz. Um, but it, it was a bit more um, not quite as uh, – uh, kind of head scratching is this one, I don't think. And it's not um, it's not exactly like Eureka. It's way more surreal than that. And mm. it does remind me of, you know, any time you get some sort of slightly surreal film like uh, The Lobster or... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one, actually, that moodiness and... Mm. Combined with sort of Lars von Trier's melancholia. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Absolutely. No, those vibes, if you're into those vibes, I reckon this is very closely adjacent to that kind of thing. I feel like this is upmarket sort of science fiction. Yes, that I agree. I think it's it's doing what it 
it's doing and it's intending to make you confused, but it does it in a beautiful way. <laughs> well, well, we'll segue away from the loop with Remembering Soest, which is by the artist whose artwork inspired the look and the many of the uh, the stories in this particular series, Simon Stalinhag, and it's from his album The Electric State. Hey, this is Craig Charles, Dave Liston off Red Dwarf. You're listening to Space Core Directive 3 Triple R FM, so smeg and get on with it. Yeah, there we go. We've remembering Soest. Actually, I don't think I ever knew Soest. Simon Stalinhag, The Electric State. All right. <laughs> we go from the highly cerebral tales from the loop, which will get inside your head to a mm-hmm. a different way of getting inside your head. <laughs> exactly. Do you want to take lead on this one, Megan? Yeah, for sure. So we also had a look at Zomboat exclamation mark, <laughs> which is a great uh, little British short series and zombie in nature, as you might be able to tell. And the central premise is pretty easy to lay down for you. It's pretty much four people stuck on a canal boat um, in Birmingham, 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 uh, and they need to escape the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> uh, and obviously, if you're picturing them puttering along on a canal boat very slowly, then yes, that's exactly what we're talking about. And yes, it is tongue firmly in cheek and uh, much more of a comedy take on what would happen if the zombies were among us. Uh, and this one's on Stan. And it is a very quick, I'm not quite through with it, but I, I pretty much could be in the drop of a hat because it is a very nice little package of six episodes, all about 20, 23 minutes a pop. And so you could whip right through this in a couple of hours, which makes me wonder why they didn't go the movie route, but I guess they want to leave it um, a bit more open to being something ongoing. But, yeah, so this is very easy to sink your teeth into and sort of, uh, so to speak, and very easy to latch onto, so to speak, quite quickly. Basically, it jumps right into it, and that's what I love about it. It doesn't waste time. We've got uh, kind of two pairs that meet up and end up having to battle through this together. We've got Joe and Kat. So Joe is played by Cara Theobald, and Kat is played by Leah Brotherhead. Uh, and then they're two sisters, and they kind of clock on to what's going on pretty quickly and then try to make their escape on this canal boat using the logic of zombies can't swim. And they're armed with solid pop culture knowledge and a lot of um, <laughs> a lot of balls, basically, <laughs> and uh, are kind of having fun with it. And it's yeah, so we've got those two, and then we've also got another pair, Amar and Sunny. And uh, these two guys were at a Bucks night kind of deal, and then it's gone a bit awry when they can't get home. Rather, they've realised that they are stuck in Birmingham, and that they uh, now have to battle it out with the zombies, but. They kind of collide paths with our other two. And uh, Amar's played by Ryan McKen and Sunny is played by Hamza Jatoa. And, uh, yeah, so these four end up all together on the canal boat and there's some other characters thrown in the mix there along the way, some colourful sorts. Uh, and, yeah, each episode, is yeah, we're moving at a pretty quick pace to try to escape and uh, get to London on the canal. So, yeah, I thought this right away, this was so much fun and I had whipped through 
Um, I'd whip through episodes without even realizing it. It was just, and cause you, how did you find this one, Rob? Cause you sort of said, Hey, let's take a look at this. This is upbeat and a lot of fun. Did you just see it on there or? Yeah. No matter what was yep. there? I knew nothing about this one. Uh, I was in the mood for another zombie comedy series, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> having, having finished off Z nation and you know, there's a, every second zombie movie or, or series has usually got some comedic element in it. Save possibly The Walking Dead. <laughs> but it, that had a tiger in it, so that's, that gets a pass. Uh, <laughs> so Zombo, the title was dopey enough to get me mm. in. And mm. I was thinking about it. I'm looking at this narrow boat in the canals of England and thinking, you know, they don't move too fast. <laughs> and it actually never gets old. No. Uh, it's the, Yeah. The... The dramatic escape in the in the narrow boat as it chugs along at less than four miles an hour. <laughs> you like, think like, yeah, once they play the gag a couple times, you're like, you get tired of it, but it's perfect every time. Like they just set it up perfectly um, for that comedy moment where, yeah, you realise the boat is barely moving. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's. I think this one knows what it's doing. And it's very witty. I found that it was just like straight away you kind of have a handle on these characters and sure, they're kind of stereotypes, but I don't know. I still felt they were quite real. I still connected with them pretty quickly. I thought that was really artful considering you haven't spent much time with them. They are pretty stereotypical. I think that's probably a, a, a sort of a, a nod to the acting as well. But right away, you're, you're rooting for this ragtag group of misfits, like, um, to, yeah, to make it. Yes, and they they're really good with the tropes in this with twisting them too. There's there's Cat mm-hmm. the the gamer who's so good at zombie apocalypse games. Yeah, but, but maybe not so good in real life. Exactly, like she's got the knowledge and she knows all of the tropes and she knows kind of how it all works. But then you know you've got kind of her, um, I don't know, dopey, not dopey, but you know, a bit ditzy sister, and she's the one oftentimes who's kind of pulling it out out all the stops and pulling the clever moves. You know, and of course they have to when this apocalypse starts. They're all in their sleepover clothing, mm-hmm. <laughs> so obviously they have to go to a store and get some leather gear. Yeah, exactly. Which which is a, the part. a bit too chafy for for actual combat use. <laughs> and the, and there's some great lines in this at one stage because they don't stay on the narrow boat all the time. In fact, they're often off of it. Uh, mm. And um, Kat says to Joe, who she unwisely leaves in charge of looking after the boat, if we're not back in two hours, dramatic pause, um, just wait longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. You They've got the danger there, but the whole time they're sort of still having fun with it. And you're like, maybe I would storm into a building that could be riddled with zombies, even though in reality you'd probably be scared out of your wits. But they make it look fun. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just a real ride. And you're right. It's not strictly on the boat. It's kind of a big part of it. But, yeah, it's these little adventures and little side side quests, you'd probably say, um, that they have to go on, <laughs> or as Kat would say. <laughs> and, yeah, it's very cleverly composed, I think. Yeah. The, the bickering of stressed-out people is, is, a, is a good feature of this one. Uh, and, you know, the, the adventures and the scrapes they get into, they're just hilarious. And yeah. I can think of no finer compliment to this show than to say that it reminds me very, very much of early Red Dwarf. That, oh. that, that same kind of smart, 
witty, fast humour, mm, mm, mm. situational comedy set mm. in a zombie apocalypse instead of in space, but yeah. with a limited amount of of people involved and, and just running sheerly on the on the cleverness of its dialogue and its situations. Mm, yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I can't call it on anything. Everything made me laugh. Yeah, it's it's got this chaotic energy and I think that it is pitched perfectly, like for the level that it is. I reckon this would have been a pretty um, affordable thing to shoot as well. Like I think they would have been able to get away with this for a good, you know, it doesn't look cheap though. Do you know what I mean? Like I think they just, it was so cleverly done, like the way they pick the places where the action will happen and you're right, it really just hangs off the script and the chemistry between our four um for people. So no, I agree. I would have to say that I think it's, it's a really nice example of what you can do if you just have one clever premise, build on that without overdoing it. And well, I mean, in terms of like dragging it out for too long, like we said, this is nice, short, snappy, quick. Um, You can just, you know, paper thin premise, you can make it work. Uh, Yeah. I love that they never clear the flower pots off the top of a narrow boat. (laughs) <laughs> that just cracks me up. Oh, we should have the uh, the theme, yeah, this piece, which is that. which is really good, um, mm-hmm. and and it sets the mood perfectly. It's called Sleep Forever. This is a radio edit, and it's by a band called Loop Garou, which of course means uh, werewolves in French. And this is their main title theme, so it's a little bit more extended than the uh, the actual show theme. Triple R. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, stacking Z's on Zero G. Sleep Forever by Loop Garou. And the Garou has a big X at the end of it. Free Piece <laughs> Rock Band featuring Ed Harcourt, Kaz Brown from Gorillaz, and Richard Jones from The Feeling. So they do this uh, post existentialist blues, they've called that. And that's, <laughs> that's the theme song from. Zomboat, exclamation mm. mark. It's one of these things where they've got to do hashtags and punctuation marks and things. I know. It's all the rage at the moment. <laughs> mm. And zombie rage is what Zomboat is all about, but done in so much good humoured fun that I actually found myself raised up from the pandemic blues by mm. it. Mm. You know, <laughs> as the and we should mention that the uh, the 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 zomboat is a narrow boat in the canals of England, and its name is Dorothy. Ah, oh. yeah, and it's a it's a character too. And it does look quite cozy inside that boat. I mean, apart from the blood everywhere and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, it was kind of a cool little um, set on its own. And then yeah, you have these little other scenic <laughs> bits of England, of course, with zombies. Uh, walking through them quite slowly, but still. And as they say in the show, they walk like walking dead zombies and not like 28 days later zombies. And there are other differences too from common zombie tropes, as well as the fact that, that the boat is only marginally faster than the zombies. <laughs> they, I think the zombies are barely walking at all from what I can tell. Like if the boat's going at that speed and the zombies still haven't caught up, I mean, I don't know, they're really dragging their heels. And it's it's pretty much the same zombie swarm that's after them too. It is. It's all this same little gang of uh, zombies that you get to know and love and, oh, it's that guy, it's that train dude, and, oh, it's that other dude. <laughs> You know, 
no, but which is intentional, and you, also a smaller cast. If you removed the the zombie element from it, it would still be a pretty funny. A small group of friends comedy, you know, with mm-hmm. um, with problems with their exes and people people that they meet online not being what they what they say on the packaging, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Stag parties that go very very wrong. Oh, yeah, gosh, that's what's cool though. Like they just drip feed you enough about their normal lives, but not too much. Like I don't need entire long drawn out you know, sequences about their normal lives or whatever. We want a good mix of action. We want a good bit of personal stuff. And then let's just keep moving at that four kilometres an hour or whatever that boat's doing at the time. Yes, a slow-paced zombie apocalypse chase Mm. movie. And, you know, I love that there's one entire episode pretty much devoted to Joe trying to get a shower so she can get rid of the gore that's been splattered across her. Yep, yep. It's it's just, I feel, yeah, like we said, six episodes, it's in, it's out, small cast, It's uh, and it is sort of British humour as well. Like, I mean, an obvious, you know, Shaun of the Dead vibes, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, lots of some visual gags and stuff like that. And so it is a kind of that Brit sense of humour, uh, but it just works so well. I was like, yes, this is what I needed. I need something fresh on the zombie. I mean, this isn't fresh per se. It's something different. It's something different, you know? Yeah. It's called Zomboat with an exclamation mark. All 24-minute episodes, there are six of them, are now dropped on Stan. That's a very typical number of episodes for a British series. Short and sweet. (laughs) Mm. All right. So, you know, we're going to have another track here. Really, I just keep wanting to play tracks that bounce off of this one because it's just so much fun. So, all right, the next track we're going to play is a 1961 one-hit wonder by Scottish folk singer Josh McRae, and it's Messing About on the River. And it's just a novelty song that I thought they really should have played. Hi, this is Corey McAbee from Stingray Sam and the American Astronaut, and you're listening to Zero G on 3RRR-FM. He does the things that folks don't do that need to be done. In case you didn't catch the lyric, messing about on the river. Scottish folk singer Josh McRae, a, a kind of a one-hit wonder back in 1961, and a song that's beloved of productions that do The Wind in the Willows. Yeah, for obvious reasons, with Ratty and Mole and all that crew mm-hmm. out there in their little punts. The gang. The gang, yeah. Well, I think we're actually running out of time for Zero G. We've been very leisurely today because we've been stuck yeah. on narrow boats in the canals. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so we'll end today with our weekly Bowie. And this is a, a bit of an oblique one, as many have been. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called Terence Loves You, and Terence was the name of David Bowie's brother who had a fascinating history of his own. Just look it up, T-E-R-R-E-N-C-E. And this is by Lana Del Rey from her Honeymoon album, and it's uh, Lana Del Rey's Honeymoon album. And as I said, you will find a little bit of Bowie in this song as well. You'll know it when you hear it. <laughs> well that's about it for zero g for today thank you megan thank you rob thank you to everybody who continues to contribute to the production aspects of zero g as well as to kayla larson who gets us in post-production and gets us out there yes gets us out there in the magnificent zero g all electric but yet somehow steam driven podcast take it away lana 
G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.